0: The Ringer's music critic, Rob Harvilla, curates and explores 60 iconic songs from the 90s that define the decade. Rob is joined by a variety of guests to break it all down as they turn back the clock. Check out 60 songs that explain the 90s exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages,
1: And sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk
0: now. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at theringer.com. And join me on the other line TV is a time machine, and he doesn't want to get off. It's Andy Greenwald. Chris, our cup runneth over today. We
1: have a oh, lot man. of content.
0: So much content to talk about, Andy. It's so great to see you. It's Thursday. We're going to be chatting a little bit about. Um, pam and tommy about boba fett and we're gonna hit first some trailers for some new shows coming out soon both are of which are period pieces set in the 70s so it's a little bit of a, a looking backwards to look forwards we're also oh, you know
1: also somebody somewhere we got to talk somebody well that's contemporary
0: somewhere. you know it didn't quite oh. fit with my thematic uh my thematic oh, I'm, way I'm of sorry at the Maestro. Yeah.
1: Do, um, do you want it before we get into it do you want to just like Give a hint of what we were just talking about. Chris, oh, you saw I was the just Jackass testing. movie.
0: Yeah, I saw the Jackass movie. I did the uh, Big Picture with Sean, which is uh, going up s- soon. I don't know. I think maybe today, maybe tomorrow morning. Uh, love doing that podcast with Sean. Love talking about bros getting their dicks broke on, uh, on pods. Um, a lot of that happens. in this movie. Isn't that all pods? <laughs> um, I really, really enjoyed myself. You're you're like kind of Jackass agnostic, right?
1: No, no. See, okay. I fit the profile of a jackass disliker, if not hater. I get that. You know, I own that. I mm-hmm. walk around the world, people are like, that guy doesn't like that stuff that's good. I get that a lot. I like jackass. I don't seek it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if it comes to me, I can have a very good time with it. And I, I also think that maybe, you know, as we were just discussing with Kaya, there are some that maybe they, they're, a little, they're a little far. They go a little far for me. But there are other ones, like the High Five, that I was just thinking about, Like, all week.
0: That might be, like, the most perfect piece of content ever made.
1: It's so (laughs) purely good and funny. And I do like the fact that it's just, like all podcasts, it's essentially about dudes growing older together, right? Yeah. Like, that's what these movies are about. (laughs) I think that's very sweet.
0: Hey, I was going to ask you, you know, so uh, Top Chef's coming back in a month. uh, A month from today, basically. Uh, March 3rd, I believe. Is that right? March 3rd?
1: I believe so, yeah.
0: And Top Chef Houston, I could not be more excited. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to do the Friday shows like this this time around. We'll see. We'll we'll, we'll have some sort of recapping of it. Oh, but... oh do you
1: have other plans?
0: No, because I, I, don't, I didn't know if Friday's worked for you, you know?
1: Oh, that's nice. No, because I'll be doing a Top Chef Top Chef recap pod. I just didn't know if it if it would be here. Maybe it'll be with Sean on the big picture. I mean, sure, I don't you know. you could always
0: do that. I mean, like I typically record the answer podcast on the Ringer NBA show on Friday mornings, <laughs> oh. but we can move things around a little bit. <laughs> excuse, excuse me. Uh-huh. uh in any mm-hmm. case um what i was gonna say is that like in prep i feel like i've started like uh ramping up my food content consumption you know like just to get the just get the muscles ready to get my knife skills back in shape totally what's your, what's your general take on gordon ramsey
1: oh um
0: because he's got a very for, big show on right now
1: first of all thank you for asking yeah um i have not checked in with gordo in a while but in his, the early years of his American invasion, which was like a decade ago, I was very in. I mean, first of okay. all, I really, really loved, I really liked Kitchen Nightmares, particularly the British version. You were and in mostly because,
0: because he, he just was such a, a great like uh, workplace culture setter, right?
1: Well, that was the weird thing about it. There was, and I don't know if it, how this has aged, probably poorly, or how it's been um, finessed, but what made those early shows appealing was that he was a nightmare hard-ass with a heart of gold. And sure. that like Kitchen Nightmare specifically, he was there, he we all had fun when he's just like, this is actually criminal what you're doing with this grease trap. But then he'd be like, let's fix it. And everybody gets along again. You know, right. like I I, I, I like that era of reality TV and I liked his presence in it. And then, yeah, I watched the first, I mean, not too many, I would say the first 18 seasons of Hell's Kitchen. You know, so like I, just the tip of the iceberg uh, of the American show. And has it, Am I traumatized every time I cook scallops? Yes. Will I ever cook a Wellington? No. No. But I kind of appreciated that show for the just absolutely manufactured nonsense that it was. Like it was never it was never in competition with a Top Chef, for example. He's got so I I enjoy his television personality.
0: He's got a very so he's got a show that's on Fox right now that I think is actually quite quite big with Richard Blaze called Next Level Chef. Um which involves a lot of food moving on platforms, which mm. uh that's cool. It's like Tron. Um I've been watching his YouTube channel. And has he always done this thing where he gets so carried away with his enthusiasm for mm-hmm. ingredients that sometimes he transfers that enthusiasm onto like very neutral, mm-hmm. like just, you know, non-sentient things. Like, like I'm watching one and he's just like, look at this beautiful, lovely chanterelles. And you're like, great. You're just enthusiastic for mushrooms. And then he's just like, look, beautiful, gorgeous, rich brown sugar. And I'm like, is brown sugar really have that much variance where you could have good or bad brown sugar? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, he's a
1: passionate man with, you know, a a media skill set that is um, crude but robust, uh-huh. right? Like, you only need a couple tools in the kitchen. That's what they always say. You don't need all the fancy stuff. I, I get that. I, I this is Boy, I'm really, like, playing to my strengths today. Jackass, fine. Gordon Ramsay, not as good as the original British asshole, Marco <laughs> Pierre White. <laughs> yes. Um, did we ever talk about him on this podcast? I think like,
0: we've made reference to him in his bullion cubes, yeah.
1: Yeah, Marco Pierre White, for people who, who don't know, was the previous iteration of the British bad boy chef, who, again, we cannot in any way condone their workplace culture or whatever other allegations have emerged about these people since we stopped paying attention to them actively in 2015. However, <laughs> Marco Pierre White's YouTube channel where he just makes a lovely plate of lamb chops with mint sauce or whatever super simple he's so good at being a cook and then so so intensely shilling for bouillon cubes at the same time yeah. That you almost reach a transcendental state of like art and commerce fuse and just become something amazing.
0: There's there's something weird also happening. I don't know why we're spending all this time on on the cooking of the the British Isles, but I want to mention the fact that you know how like sometimes if you look at like French recipes, yeah, you you probably for your own blood pressure need to like reduce the amount of butter they're recommending you use like in in any like oh yeah right 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 because like you're just gonna have like absolute coronary collapse if you have three sticks of butter with every pork chop you have. But on the flip side of that, I find that when I'm watching any English chefs cooking on YouTube, mm. I'm like, what? They haven't put salt in yet. Like, it's just <laughs> yeah. always like this gray meat. <laughs> and then they're like, for seasoning, mince. Like, mince yeah. paste. <laughs> <Like>, mince something. <laughs> yeah.
1: Boil this boil this knuckle of meat <laughs> for five to 12 hours. And then squeeze something out of a yeah. tube. Or bouillon cubes. Very That's salty. Right. Bouillon cubes. Um, Chris, did I ever... Did, did, did you know that I went to Bam Margera's house? Sorry to circle back to Jackass. Do you remember that? No, I mean he's not in this latest career?
0: film. He's having some tough times right now. I know,
1: I know. I know. That's that's uh, That's the other reason why it's sort of hard for me to get into the Jackass thing. That was a, a spin story where I where I went there and. Did and you? So you
0: back, went out to Westchester?
1: Yeah, the Viva La Bam uh, experience. Yeah, which was uh, much as it was depicted on film. That I'm was sure. not a uh, only for the cameras kind of thing.
0: Um, let's start with these trailers that just came out. I'm trying to be a little bit more conscientious about just assuming that everybody listening to this podcast spends their day watching trailers for upcoming prestige TV shows. But uh, there have been two that caught my eye this week. One just dropped, I think, today, which is Gaslit, which is going to be on Stars mm-hmm. and stars Julia Roberts and Sean Penn as Margaret and John Mitchell, respectively. And it is an adaptation of the Slow Burn podcast, which many, 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 many people loved. Um, it's a sort of re retelling of a a different look at the Watergate burglary, which was in some ways dramatized in All the President's Men, and uh, was originally going to be directed by Nash and Joel Edgerton, and Joel Edgerton was going to co-star in in mm-hmm. the show, and they left, and uh, Matt Ross took over directing duties, I believe. So Sam is a producer on this, correct?
1: This is an s Corp show. Yeah, okay. this has been in development for a while. Um, and Sam, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So... Julia Roberts is on stars now. That's that's what's happening in 2022. Looks pretty pretty great. Dan Stevens is in it. There's a ton of people in it. Shea Wiggum, Chris Messina, Allison Tolman.
1: Brian Garrity from Brian Television's Garrity. Briar Patch. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, I I The, I, the I, brand I, you is know, strong. I, I'm always in a weird place talking about Smell Corp shows, and also in this case because um, I'm not.
0: Let's go. Let's, let's do just. it. <laughs> Uncork it.
1: Uh, one of one of the editors who worked on my show, Joe Leonard, worked on this. And when I was visiting S-Mail Corp offices, I saw a little bit of the show, and it I, I, it looks beautiful. It looks amazing. Yeah. Like I saw dailies, and I was like, the thing is with actors. Let me tell you the thing about actors, Chris. Dan Stevens, and Betty Gilpin, really good at acting. Yeah. Really good at acting. And they make things look like, oh, is this the finished product airing on television right now? They're like Fantastic. Oh, this is take
0: 4 or whatever. Yeah.
1: I I do think that it's a fascinating venture though. This is let me let me let me take off my SML Corp team softball hat and put on um no no hat because I generally don't wear a hat.
0: That's right. Man. Um
1: it, it, it's nobody it's c- re- nobody
0: should ever question your editorial independence. <laughs> well, they they can. <laughs>
1: i literally just talked about my editor editing the show (laughs) so i feel like it's relevant um i think the thing that's interesting here is the gamble by stars because i i think the show looks good i'm excited to watch it but as a package Mm -hmm. it is not necessarily a 2022 package right it is in a way a it's just a couple years earlier, which already is a couple iterations back in what the streaming ecosystem looked like. And it is very star heavy, right? I mean, it's Julia Roberts and Sean Penn. And when we, and I say star heavy, I don't mean like Phoebe Wallerbridge and Donald Glover in right. that aborted Mr. Smith. You mean Mr. people that Smith.
0: like 64-year-olds like, know. Os- yeah.
1: Oscar winners. Yeah. Right? And— the economy of investing in them and what you get in return, that has shifted for a lot of the services, you know, what they get back, what they put in and what is of value to them. And it's really interesting of stars, which has been remarkably, I think, consistently successful the last few years by working its niches mm-hmm. and, um, you know, with with shows like, like Power, which is just a huge hit that we don't watch. It's like a huge but-
0: franchise, too, because it's got all the spinoff shows.
1: Exactly, it's just a franchise now, and so they have the artillery to be like, okay, now we want to we're going to try to win Emmys now and see what that mm-hmm. looks like for us. And so I think that's interesting.
0: Does Stars have any corporate relationship with anything? I mean, what what is Stars?
1: Stars is owned by Lionsgate. Oh my guys, yeah, studio. your guys,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my guys over at the Big Cat, yeah, <laughs> uh huh, uh huh,
1: uh-huh. yeah. So, uh, but the, it Stars has long been like I, I think Stars had. Uh, Prior to that was partially owned by, um, like, like the Knicks, like by James Dolan. Like there was some there was like MSG network, cablevision connection. I think maybe they sold it to Lionsgate, and then it's always mentioned as an inevitable acquisition. One of the the great
0: East Coast cable providers,
1: (laughs) cablevision. Yeah, (laughs) one of the great East Coast sports owners, him Snyder. Who else he got?
0: Yes, um, so, yeah, Gaslit looks pretty cool. I, I promise we're we're building towards an idea here. And then uh, the other thing that I was I've, I think I've watched this trailer like 13 times already is The Offer, which is coming on Paramount Plus in April and is the making of The Godfather, the behind the scenes story of the making of The Godfather starring uh, Miles Teller as Albert Ruddy, who is one of the producers, Miles Teller. Uh, both of these shows united in the fact that Army Hammer is no longer in them. He was scheduled, he was cast in both of these shows. Yes, uh, and is no longer in them. Miles Teller replaced Army Hammer. Matthew Good playing um, the uh, legendary producer Robert Evans. Dan Fogler plays Francis Ford Coppola. The thing that blew my fucking mind mm. is uh, Justin Chambers from Grey's Anatomy is playing Marlon Brando. Is that who that is? Yes. Um, wow. and then, uh, Juno Temple, a bunch of people, Gian- Giovanni Ribisi. And it's essentially, I mean, it's a great, great story. I don't know how many liberties they'll be taking with it, but it's written by Michael Tolkien who wrote The Player, which is one of the great movies ever made about Hollywood and is directed by Dexter Fletcher. Uh, at least he directed a few of these episodes. Uh, I always like to think of Dexter Fletcher from his days, uh, in the Martin Amis adaptation, The Rachel Papers, big, big book for me. Uh, and then... He also directed Rocket Man. Uh, He's he's become like something of a big time uh, mainstream director. So, yeah, this looks sick. They cut this trailer in the cadence that they cut the like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy reboot that they did a couple of years ago, where it's just like the clock tick Mm -hmm. kind of footsteps. I mean, every trailer is like that, but this one felt like almost like a seventies espionage uh, movie or something, rather than a behind the scenes like Hollywood story, which I think is very cool. And there are a couple of, uh, honestly, uh, hair on the back of your neck standing up moments in this trailer. Like, I'm not like a big Dan Fogler guy, but when he was like the first line of this movie is, I believe in America, I was like, you better fucking get me an Ivy drip of the show right now.
1: Wow. Chris, you're excited about this show. I'm excited about th- You're not excited about this show? What my take presupposes is, what if I wasn't?
0: I, 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 this leads you into the our... Go- Do you like The Godfather? Yes. Okay. Cool.
1: Don't don't tar me with that brush. Yes, jackass. Sometimes, uh, Godfather. Always. Are you
0: into Watergate?
1: Just, I, I thought it was a a, a brilliant piece of, of of thievery. Yeah, I was I was I was team burglars.
0: <laughs> You're also in super into brutalist architecture.
1: Yes. Thank you. Um, this bleeds into my feelings about Pam and Tommy oh. to a degree, which is. Is there a story here? Maybe. Maybe. I, I I I there's definitely a trailer and there's a trailer for Pam and Tommy as well. There is a really exciting rush of adrenaline and recognition when you see people doing things that you have an emotional reaction to, like portraying people who figured largely in your cultural history or memories or nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. But I I just don't know if these are shows. We're going to get to that with
0: Boba Fett as well. (laughs) For sure.
1: I I, I just, and maybe I feel this way about everything we're talking about today. I feel like we're reaching a bizarre breaking point. And I don't know if this is culture breaking or if this is the two of us in our dotage, or maybe just me breaking off from the main timeline of what matters and what's good. The way George Clooney broke off from the spaceship in gravity. Sorry for the spoilers. (laughs) Um, you know what I, I mean? Like I watch this stuff and uh-huh. I do feel like I'm floating just vaguely away where I'm like, I, I and even from being in, uh, this is gross, but geographically true in Hollywood, uh-huh. like I understand why these are the projects that are getting greenlit and even Gaslit too. Now Gaslit's a little bit different because it's based on a podcast that found a very compelling new narrative angle on something that's that had been previously well-trod terrain. So it's not a fair, it's not fair to to rope that in, I don't think. But um, yeah, because it has that weird mix of like familiarity and comfort and playing make believe and pretend. And, you know, something like The Offer, what you're speaking to, and we haven't seen the show. I would love it if it was, trans, if it transcended everything. It was Mm -hmm. actually just a, you know, a beautiful piece, but it is cut to the cadence of The Godfather. It's giving you The Godfather without giving you The Godfather, right? And that's, not a bad thing that sounds yeah. pleasurable i just i just start to wonder like not every reenactment is worthy of a television show
0: so that i mean that there are some interesting contrasts between these various stories that we're talking about and we can kind of like start to get into Pam and Tommy you have something like Pam and Tommy which i think i residually remember from my mm-hmm. like teen years when that happened in 95 as being ever present you know both Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee as cultural figures, but that certainly that story being, even before the days of TMZ, something that felt inescapable. Um, And then you've got something like Watergate, which is you think you know the whole story, but you have no idea. And then somewhere in the middle maybe is The Godfather, where there's a lot of lore about the making of the movie. A lot of it I know more through the lens of Coppola. And some of the gambles he made, and some of the fights behind the scenes, and some of the casting decisions that were made, and stuff like that. And there, there's an illusion I think in the trailer to Redford being involved, and like what they're going to do, mm-hmm. and like does Michael have to be an obviously Italian American man, and like all this stuff that they were arguing about because they maybe they get Hoffman and all this really cool stuff in yeah, that. It, that's interesting. And then you know, I think that the trailer itself is presenting it more as like. These movie producers who went up against the mob to make a mob movie, you know, and and maybe that is or isn't the case. And, and maybe it's a little bit leaning heavily on the the gun in the pocket oh. and the Giovanni Ribisi stuff. Whereas, like, I'm actually just fascinated to see, like, show me the Brando screen test kind of stuff. Like, I'm really curious about that.
1: Chris, I don't because you actually work for Spotify, so I'm not sure. Like, do you have to disclose your financial holdings in Miles Teller Incorporated?
0: <laughs> Some rocky, rocky couple of years, but I'm still holding.
1: People have said sell. You know what I mean? Like, you you deserve our respect. He's got a you big ear coming up.
0: So he's got is this. He's got Escape from Spiderhead, which is now known as Spiderhead. Do you know what this movie's about?
1: No, is it part of the Spider-Verse?
0: No, it, that's... You're thinking of Dakota Johnson and Madam Web. Uh, no, oh? this is... M- Miles Teller and uh, Journey Smollett are uh, prisoners who agree to, like, take time off of their sentences to allow Chris Hemsworth's billionaire to, like, perform like, emotional or, you know, like, you know, ex- experiments on them. And uh, it looks really cool. Do, uh, do you, I do you get, like, a a,
1: d- a glossy quarterly for, like, Miles Teller <laughs> shareholder report? You know what I mean? It's just, like, Miles has an exciting Q4 coming <laughs> up in 2022. And then he's in Top gun
0: too. So I don't really know what you want from oh, life here. Yeah. listen
1: to you. Okay. All yeah. right. You were holding that one back.
0: So Miles Teller is doing fine. Um, okay. So you're a little bit iffy on, on the offer. You're excited for Gaslit. You've actually already seen a little bit of footage of it, so that's, that's cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about Pam and Tommy. I, I want to say a little bit because, uh, as some reviewers have pointed out, I think that this is a show that maybe needs to be evaluated in totality rather than piecemeal.
1: It seems like it. Um, I had definitely had a strong reaction to the first two episodes That's that, that I've seen. I think we've both seen two. Three are available on Hulu. I think there's eight in total. And I was interested to read—I read, um, I read um, Jim Ponowozik's review in the New York Times—that, at least in his telling of it, the back half of the season, particularly an episode he references directed by a friend of the pod, Hannah Fidel, who made an, uh, A Teacher, uh-huh. that the show sh- the show demonstrates some surprising complexity and, uh, you know, sort of an in- brings an interesting perspective to the plight of Pamela Anderson as a human being and adds nuance. And I would welcome that because I have to say I was pretty turned off by the first two episodes of the show um, for a number of reasons, one of which might be what I was alluding to before, which is I, I don't understand why it's a show. I understand why it got pitched, why it got greenlit, why actors were thrilled to have fun and make this, but I don't understand why this is Deserving of eight hours of television time yet. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly because, at least through the first two episodes, it mostly the project mostly seems to be a kind of, I was gonna say slavishly, but actually it's not slavishly, it's more like um salaciously rigorous recreation of a kind of a trashy vibe. And but without yeah. actually I think having more depth to it, you know, I just I, there are much to say about it. Like I clearly, Lily James, who I love and was the star of Pursuit of Love, one of my favorite shows last year, and Sebastian Stan, who's the star of your number one show last year, Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's right. Um, all, all, all in in a way that you you love to see it from your yeah, actors, t- it looks like they're having a great time, and you get to see a lot of them having a great time. Um, but these are not. People that I really want to spend that much time with, nor do I feel like have an enormous amount of depth or perspective on their own circumstance. But because there's eight hours, it's not just the cultural phenomenon around it. It's a recreation of them going to Cancun and their courtship, which is like, okay, that that recreation is fine, but recreation isn't necessarily an artistic end, to my mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a it's an interesting conversation topic because I guess that the question really becomes like, what do you want out of your Nonfiction, fiction. You know mm-hmm. what? Are are you looking to have um, your attitudes changed about these characters? And I have a feeling, just based on what has been written about the show, that the person who's sort of most up for um, cl- cultural reappraisal in this in this show is is Pamela Anderson and like what her mm-hmm. agency or lack thereof was in this situation, and who was sort of manipulating her and and how she was being manipulated in her like everyday professional life as a uh, actor on Baywatch. And, you know, I'm not unsympathetic to that, like, as, like, a storyline, but I think that, like, it's interesting that I would want to be, like, I, I, I guess, like, I, I've showed, like, I'm open to watching anything that was set in the 70s, but there's something about, like, the 90s right now where I was like, well, I kind of lived through this, and I wasn't, like, super into it when it happened, you know, like, I wasn't, well, it, I wasn't, it, it, I've never been, like, somebody who's just, like, this story is so thrilling because it's so salacious and it involves all these celebrities. Like I wasn't like that about OJ, I wasn't like that about no. Cl- Clinton, I wasn't like that about this. They're not all the same thing, but a lot of this like stuff where it's like these stories that were sort of like transcended, they they crossed over from supermarket tabloids into mainstream news. Were often things that I like kind of had dead eyes for in the 90s anyway, so it's weird to go back and have to like revisit something that I was like really ready to be over when I was 16 or 17, anyway.
1: I totally agree with that. I would also say it's interesting to note, and this could be where we are contextually, like where we are historically in this moment or where we are in our culture. But if you look at something like Mad Men, um, two things stand out. One, Weiner was able to do a very interesting tightrope act where there was a kind of nostalgic reverence for certain aspects of the period and fetishization of aspects of it you know and some would even argue that he went too far in that in terms of the the the, the masculinity and the whiteness and the drinking and, and the infidelity and just all of the stuff that that the show was suffused with um but what the show project it, the show project was recreating that but what it was really about was saying we're always the same mm-hmm. we are the same people these the, the 90s shows that you're mentioning are different on, well, first of all, because they're about celebrities. And so, you know, for example, like Mrs. America was a show that was about an era that I think you and I find very interesting, but was so um, frozen and paralyzed by history, by actually having to be accurate to people that it didn't feel alive or as interesting or as compelling. So I think that's probably something to pay attention to. But these shows that are set in the 90s, I think, tend to, in varying ways, take a, take a viewpoint of these people were trash, and it's their fault that we are the way we are. They, there's a certain vindictiveness almost to it, you know. And I think that from everything we've read, Pamela Anderson is that 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 lens shifts in the same way that it kind of shifts for Monica Lewinsky in the mm-hmm. impeachment show, which is another show that I didn't finish and obviously for similar it reasons.
0: Sort of shifted for Marsha Clark throughout the OJ. Show.
1: Exactly, great point. So I think though that those rehabilitation projects are interesting, but they are by the nature of the beast one plank in a larger. Uh, structure, right? If there was a movie that that took that angle, that I think it would be more concise and more specifically about that. I think the O.J. show was entertaining enough and had strong performances enough and celebrated its luridness enough to be a worthwhile exercise. Whereas, the the thing about this one that's the the thing that's interesting to me about it, I think theoretically, is the, when the show starts, the era that it starts, right when we were finishing high school, um, when Pam and Tommy met. Mm-hmm. Um, he was credibly, in some eyes, a rock and roll drummer. Now, it, so far the show doesn't pay any attention to it. I imagine it's coming. The fact that Motley Crue had been displaced already. Like, four, you know, three or four years earlier, Grunge had taken over and Motley yeah. Crue could still sell out shows and sell probably sell a million records, but they wouldn't be in Rolling Stone anymore or, or whatever. But he was ostensibly so, still a drummer. And Pamela Anderson ostensibly was still an actor because Baywatch was on and she was going to make that. I don't think she'd made that barbed wire movie yet and that this was the moment... I would have when, to check
0: my notes, but yeah, I don't, I don't think so.
1: I'd appreciate that. Have you, I, I haven't listened to the episode you enjoyed should about we stop that. down again, actually? <laughs> I, I think we probably <laughs> ought to. Um, but from this moment, they were no longer famous for being the things that they did professionally. They became famous for being famous, yeah. which is very, very, you know, an important inflection point for our culture, certainly. Um, but the tone is so all over the place, you know, in a way that I found very confusing. Like... I I kind of appreciate, in theory, that this is a show in which Sebastian Stan's Tommy Lee in the second episode has a spirited conversation with his penis as voiced by number one friend of the pod, Jason Manzoukas, who really gives his all. Up to that point, I don't believe this is that show. So it's not having that much, like, pop you know anything we're just we're all having a goof here and we're in like anything is possible in creative storytelling it doesn't seem like that
0: yeah there's a there's a there's a suggestion in there and i i think maybe because of rogan's hit, like cv i'm thinking of this but yeah i was like when i first see rogan and when it first sort of starts out with this like this guy's getting ground down by his boss and it's it's kind yeah. of a story about like class but it's, it's also a story about like the dreamers out there in Hollywood and how everybody is kind of like going home at night and thinking about something bigger and better. I was like, Oh, maybe this will be like a little bit of like raising Arizona. Like maybe I'll have like a kind of daffy, almost like slapstick energy to it. And Rogan's not playing it that way (laughs) at all. You know, he's pretty, he's pretty reserved. Now, not everybody can do Nick Cage in raising Arizona. That's a pretty singular performance, but it, I guess it's more of the sensibility that I was sort of looking for that, You're right. Like there's, there's, there's like a lot of stuff being thrown at the wall, and I think it just needs a few episodes to kind of find out which one it which direction it wants to go.
1: It's not just that he's not playing it that way. I appreciate you making that point. It's that Craig Gillespie, who directed it, is not directing it that way, like a comedy. He's directing it the way he directed the the Tanya Harding movie, right? Or, or um, you know, the same spirit that he brought to Physical, a show that I thought actually kind of worked more in concert to get like it was in sync with itself in terms of its point of view than this one, and. You know, it's that same kind of vibe that it's, it's a little bit prickly. It's just like working class people have weird haircuts and are striving to be rich. And mm-hmm. it appears to be commenting on them as opposed to like allowing it to celebrate and have fun. And there's a moment in that pilot that, again, these are the, – I know why these things are there. This is how this business works. It is working correctly. The thing about like let's give Seth Rogan's character a flashback here so we understand why the disgruntled porn star slash contractor – Uh, is the way he is. And so he's held at gunpoint and he wets himself and he immediately remembers the time he wet himself when his TV star father humiliated him and told him he was worthless. Uh And that is a vicious, vicious, mean scene, you know, which deals with stuff on an emotional level that I feel like, it writes a check that the show is not cashing at that point. You know what I mean? And then later... We have Manzuka's voicing a dong. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is a spicy, spicy remoulade we're cooking up here in the kitchen. And I yeah. don't know if it all all goes together. I, I imagine an argument will be made that, oh, well, this is just, this is tabloid pop. This is the way we tell stories now. But really the way we tell stories now is we think about people we like playing other people we recognize. <laughs> and then we option an article that has three hours worth of content and we make it eight hours. That's how we make things now. And I that so I, I I couldn't help but bring some of that to it, um, but I, w- despite the criticism, I am curious where.
0: Yeah, I am too. There's h- also just like way too many super talented people yeah. involved for it to not be interesting, and there's a lot of really interesting names on the back half of this uh, season. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, you mentioned how we make things now or how we're telling stories. Now there's another way. Oh boy. The other way is we just bend the knee to the robots and say, Skynet, go ahead and take over.
1: Dude, I don't know. Talk about, like, Clooney floating away.
0: We're we're, going to now spoil, if you haven't watched the most recent, the penultimate episode of Book of Boba Fett. We're going to talk about that now. I know some of our listeners may not have caught up yet because it came out Wednesday morning or whatever, but here we go.
1: I text, so Chris yesterday said, sent me a text and said, have you watched Boba Fett? And I said, not yet. And he said, can I spoil it? And I said, absolutely not. Mm Mm-hmm. And he respects my wishes, so thank you. That was a dinner, yeah. Was it good?
0: It was okay, yeah. Yeah, great.
1: Um, (laughs) Was the food served in like different levels with chefs moving up and down on platforms? A guy came
0: over and was just like, brown sugar, gorgeous. (laughs) So um, MSG, just a sprinkle.
1: I, I sent Chris two texts. One throwaway, one more relevant. One, about five minutes into my watching experience, was where do you think... Space Marshal Raylan Givens gets his hair product on Tatooine because boy did he look pretty.
0: God damn it, that's an attractive man. Two,
1: I wrote, Chris, I kind of feel like we have crossed a moral line.
0: So I was, and I was pretty fired up about at. this too. And then I was like, I think I, I listened to the Midnight Boys. I listened to okay. to Charles and Van talk, and they they were very enthusiastic about it. I have to assume that Mal and Joe will feel the same way. I just based on on what what I know. I mean, if Grogu is involved, I think Mallory won't have an unkind word said about something. But there was a point after I watched it where I was like, this this sucks. You know, like this is the uncanny valley now. And I'm speaking specifically about the Luke stuff, uh, which was one of like the coolest TV moments I've ever seen at the end of the second season of Mandalorian. I was like, that straight up rocked. (laughs) When young (laughs) Luke came through and just cut dudes to pieces, yeah, fine. But like, I thought it (laughs) was—I thought it was sick. I was like, "This actually is pretty good." I didn't care. I didn't. It was not about like rewriting Ryan Johnson's movie or the rewriting like the fate of the character in the in the second or the new trilogy. It was really just like I thought it was a cool moment. Obviously, I thought it blew maybe the Mandalorian character and storyline out of the water as the Mandalorian has done to Boba Fett. Uh, it seems to be something that happens on these shows. But I was like, that's still pretty dope. It was a secret. You did it. Like it was just enough shots of him so that the de-aging stuff didn't freak me out too much. I fucking was like shook after watching this episode of Boba Fett where I was like, that man is Mark Hamill. Like that is a young Mark Hamill. That is unbelievable that we can do that now. And I know that we've like dabbled in this with the Irishman and other kind of there's been de-aging it doesn't look like that. That no, was like it was, the full power of the empire was behind that rendering yeah, of and, that young man.
1: And you realized it's cute that Mark Hamill was involved, but he doesn't need to be. Yes. They, they paid him a nice tribute by bringing him in and having him walk a little bit or talk a little bit or have some ping pong balls or just hang out. Because again, this is a show where the main character, not of the show, but of the other show, Mandalorian, is played by an actor who isn't in the show. <laughs> not, I'm sorry, I know I'm not like, I know I'm beating a dead dead tauntaun here, but like, it's weird to me still. Um, nothing is as it seems, right? Mm-hmm. This is just, this is an airplane, converted airplane hangar in Manhattan Beach, where Dave Filoni and John Favreau and Robert Rodriguez are just cosplaying everything from the darkest corners of their teenage fictional fantasies like that's what they're doing and there's a part of me that's like that actually is kind of pure filmmaking mm-hmm. right
0: if if everything we want no shits they're like about here's anything. a few episodes of boba psych this is the mandalorian season 2.5 psych this is jedi academy with the most popular character on television today and the most popular character in the history of movies possibly sharing a scene
1: yeah but Also, it's like, not only did we leave the orbit of the TV show you were watching a week, two weeks ago, last week they were like, we were all like, oh, what a cute little, you know, one-off. And it set us up to understand that Mandalorian season three, we might see a glimpse of Luke or, or it's the hunt for Grogu or whatever. But like now we'll be back with Boba Fett doing whatever the hell the Boba Fett show is about. And then Filoni and Rodriguez are like, nah, I think he should go on his trip this week. And we're just gonna have a like a thirty-seven minute interlude yeah. of the of of fucking Cobra Kai, but with Jedi's, and then we're gonna go back to the Spice Raiders. Shout out to Frank Herbert, who I hope gets some gets a little. You, are you are that. you
0: not remember? Like, do, isn't the Kessel Run they trucking spice back and forth? I don't know. <laughs> I I you know why I don't
1: know because I'm forty four years old. That's why you should know. No, I don't need to know that anymore. I have a 401k, okay? I drive a Dodge Stratus. Like, let this shit go. That's my main <laughs> feeling. It's wild to me. It's wild to me. But beyond that, beyond that, the thing, yeah, it was creepy. It's creepy to me about the Luke stuff. It's creepy to me on a storytelling level too, because yes,
0: every time Baby Yoda still got it. Baby is I just still putting up twenty and fifteen every night.
1: Hundred percent approval rating. Yeah, across <laughs> all quadrants, you did it. You did great. Um,
0: the when, he, when he's like ushering him along, he's like jump ahead, and he's like picks him up and moves him forward with the force. I would, do, made- if I could do that. If I had the force, I would do shit like that all the time.
1: When oh, imagine Chris as someone who has had. One and a half year olds who can walk but won't, you know, and you're trying to get somewhere. <laughs> Related, um, when when the present that Mando made for him, yeah, is a little baby chainmail like for an American girl doll. It's so weird. This show is so weird, and it's just mainstream. But the thing that I wanted to say about about the Luke
0: stuff. And then it's like the 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 moment from like the Jizza record where he's like, "You must choose," <laughs> like he's like, "You have to choose the chainmail or their lightsaber."
1: Yeah, it's just like—is he like a, baby a liquid? Or isn't is he? that
0: not a liquid sword sketch? It's th- how they pick
1: Dalai llamas. Which of these things belonged to you before? You know, that's right. it, it was on Lost most most recently that scene. But um, every time Luke appears, it feels political at this point because it does feel like an attempt to. To refute what Ryan Johnson did,
0: did and you, I, did you see Luke in the Situation Room this photo today? They just what? They just, no, I'm just joking.
1: <laughs> like tonight, Jesse Waters' guest tonight is Luke Skywalker. Is that what you're saying?
0: No, um, because they had the Situation Room photo of, of Biden and Harris because they 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 got up to some stuff.
1: Did they do some stuff today? I'm off Twitter. I don't know. Are you
0: not like, do you not look at the fucking Washington Post? Do you not know what we're up to?
1: Like at 7 p.m. <laughs> I'll watch the McNeil-Lair News Hour. You know what I mean? I'll learn enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm sh-
0: they'll mention it. Like, this is pretty big. Anyway, there was like a situation room situation. Are we good? Yeah, we're all set, man. And great. And <laughs> I was just joking that Luke would be in it, but never mind.
1: I, my my, my, my thing want, is- What a weird
0: pod today. <laughs>
1: th- today?
0: <laughs>
1: I, think, I think year 11 is off to a great start. Um, The thing about Ryan Johnson's Luke Skywalker is you can agree, you can like the movie, you cannot like the movie. But he was like, if I'm going to pick up this disused or not used for many years toy, I'm going to have a point of view and a reason for it to exist. This is just, this felt like a video game cutscene to me. It felt like fan service in a way that, you know, services fans and makes people happy. So who am I to complain about it? Well, I'm the same guy I've always been, so I'm going to mm-hmm. complain about it. Like, it did nothing other than feel, it just felt like extra business, you know? It, it doesn't move anything forward. And also, fundamentally, what bummed me out is that the monkish life of Jedis sucks. It's real boring. You know, it was what interesting. You, about what did
0: you think it was, like 24-hour party people?
1: No, I think there's a reason why we never saw much of it. Because it's boring. Like, oh. Luke Skywalker being like, man, I wish I could sells spice to the fucking Iraqis planet what what, who (laughs) did Baron Harkonnen or whatever apparently it's all one movie now but Luke is just like a kid who's frustrated and dreams of going to space oh yeah he's just a a normal boy
0: womp rats or whatever yeah yeah and
1: like be a pilot and make out with a sister just normal stuff yeah right and then he becomes a Jedi and it's just like well now I have to lose my sense of humor and be boring right okay Go do that now. Are you sure okay, you don't that's have fine.
0: a very active Reddit account on certain Star Wars pages? <laughs> 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 um, I thought a lot of this was redeemed by, by my guy Desmond Bane showing up at the end. Okay, so, you know that character's name is Bane. Apparently, no. yeah, he's like a big Star Wars animated character. Ben Lindbergh, oh, shout out, yeah,
1: really, that's yeah. He, I thought that character was cool.
0: He definitely looks cool. He looks like he's out of a Sergio Leone movie. Like it's like that's sick. And he shows up and he's just like. Bang bang gang, let's go.
1: <laughs> I thought I I was fine with that because when I when I liked these shows, and by the way, everybody knows I already shouted out Brian Garrity. Like I love seeing Rosario, and it means a lot for me to see Rosario get to be in a scene with fucking even with with weird creepy not real Luke Skywalker, and also I guess he's hanging around now R two D two. Like that's cool. I, I was thrilled for her. That was wonderful. Was it consistent? Where she's like, I won't train him, but he will. Will I see you again? Maybe. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I can't complain about the notes process being like give Seth Rogen's character a backstory for to understand his pain and then have a show where literally there are no notes except the ones Ludwig Goransson like delivers with his chanting right. choir. Like, I cannot stress the degree of no notes there are in a show where they're like, this isn't even the show about Mando <laughs> and Grogu, so let's bring them together across the galaxy and then have him drop off the package like but he's that a fucking wait.
0: Uber Eats driver. Yeah, right. and we- <laughs> He's like, I gotta go. I'm double parked. I'm so sorry. like I, can't I realize this. I've almost
1: made it there, but you know what? I'm on a different TV show. Yeah. um Look, that I, I, res- I respect all that. But the thing that I liked about this show to begin with, separate and apart from Baby Yoda, was that it? Seemed a little bit scuffed up and dirty. It was mm-hmm. going to be about not the wonderful, clean Jedi, like being serene and and practicing Zen Buddhism with space milk,
0: yeah, and or whatever. Everything.
1: Right. It was going to be yeah, like Tatooine and dust and grime and like the people in the trenches living in the universe while the uh, while these like space gods did the big stuff. To quote a show that is not relevant here whatsoever, how far we've done fallen here. Because, first of all, Mando, even during COVID, I would eat a meal off his armor. He's so clean. Mm -hmm. Okay. Two, now we have Mando and Boba Fett and Raylan Givens being like, these people have been through enough. We need good, decent people here on Tatooine. that's,
0: That's just them making Kurosawa, though. That's just Seven Samurai.
1: I'll accept that. But the show is so, so, so tidy and about heroes, and about Jedi. It just, they can't help themselves, right? It just fell right back into this in a way that is kind of bumming me out.
0: I like Desmond Bain. I thought it was cool at the end. I'm curious what this syndicate thing is. I think it would be cool if they had, like, a gangster, like, like outfit in the in, in space. That's good. Space gangsters, I'm into it. That's what I thought Boba was supposed to be at its best, right? It was like, what if this is, like, a crime lord movie? Or a crime yes. lord show? Except he's got...
1: Powerpuff Girls on light cycles, and then
0: and then also he had to he had to cede the floor <laughs> to the Mandalorian <laughs> for two hours. I mean, Has he been even ta- in the last two episodes? He's yeah, been and it he's just like a little like,
1: bit. He nods at him at the end of this episode. Like see, we didn't even talk about last week when he got his Naboo starfighter. That's right. And they she and, and she asked how it was, and he said it was wizard. Okay, <laughs> that's what that's that's what Ron Weasley says. <laughs> It's, look, I, people love it. God bless them. There are plenty of podcasts where people love it. I'm sorry. This is this is the old man yells at cloud. That's fine. that been podcast. Let's, let's just, end
0: on a positive note.
1: I was in awe of that episode. One of the weirdest hours I've seen of television. Now. That was, no,
0: it was a str- really, really, really strange <laughs> hour of TV. I For sure. Uh, let's end with Somebody Somewhere, which is a Thank show you. you and I both like quite a bit set in contemporary times uh incidentally uh stars bridget everett it's it's essentially like um a vehicle for bridget everett who's like a, a wonderful uh comedian and actress it's about uh this woman who's um gone back to her small town in kansas i guess is it it's near lawrence i think right
1: not far but it's it's actually supposed to be where bridget everett is really from which is manhattan kansas little uh, manhattan
0: yeah. isn't that where kansas state is Anyway, it doesn't matter. My my, my knowledge of the, of the the Big 12 isn't important here. Um, <laughs> she goes back to Kansas to uh, take care of her sister who uh, who has passed away at the beginning of the show. Uh, it's like a dramedy about her sort of getting back on her two feet in this small town. Her relationship with her father, her relationship with her sister, her relationship with her, her mother, and also this burgeoning community of friends that she finds in a uh, late night, choir practice quote-unquote at a Presbyterian church in town and it's really like honestly just like one of the sweetest most like human shows it's not surprising to me that uh it's uh kind of run through a little bit of the Duplass uh machine because it has um definite like hallmarks of that but what do, what do you think of this
1: yeah the Duplass brothers produced it um Jay Duplass I believe directed at least I think he did the pilot the, right yeah the pilot a number of the early episodes um I was totally charmed and I really loved the show. Um, it's it's funny. It's set in Manhattan, Kansas, but it's very Manhattan, New York in a different way in that um, Bridget Everett is kind of a, you know, performing cabaret legend in New York at this point. Um, the show was, it's very much based on her life. So I would imagine she contributed enormously to it. I was interested to see that it was the credit, credited by, created by credit is Hannah Bose and Paul Therene, who are partners in a a Brooklyn theater company called the Debate Society. Mm. Another face that you and I recognize from our time in New York is is Murray Hill, the great comedian who Mm -hmm. shows up in this, and not just comedian, like cabaret act and performer who shows up in this show as well. The thing that I found so striking about it was that for a show that features cabaret performers, a show about a character whose greatest talent and also greatest escape is through singing and not just singing like lowercase s but like belting the show is just beautifully quiet it is very 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 tender and observed and does not force anything right like th- there are scenes where there's just it seems like it's just quiet longer than you would you think it might need to be in a way that i really really loved um and also it's just is expert in creating a um not just a consistent emotional theme but a consistent space to exist in. Meaning, as you said, we have not been to, I don't know if I've ever been to, I guess I've been to like Kansas City, in but that's in Missouri. So I, I've never been to Kansas, as far as I know. I feel completely transported sure. when I watch the show. And attuned to, I think, the rhythms of this place and what's appealing about it and what's frustrating about it. And I love the show's devotion to found moments, but also like a found community. Because- yeah as the show begins, Sam, the character played by Bridget Everett is really adrift and lost. And in short order, she connects with a character named Joel who's played by the comedian, Jeff Hiller, who's really excellent on the show Awesome on the show who kind of br- draws draws her into the subculture in a small town, which is an idea that I don't think we've ever really seen explored in this degree on television. Right? Like there's, there are cool people everywhere. And the idea that, to be cool, you have to go join the places where everyone else is. I don't know if that's accurate. <laughs> you know, it certainly was like the operating instructions that many people of our generation were given, but I don't know if that's accurate. So then when she finds this underground, almost open mic night at a church that Joel has founded, um, it, 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 I don't know, it feels really revelatory and exciting and you kind of are just into it you're here for it
0: it has i i, I get some of them they're not really the same show at all uh i get some of the same charge out of it that i got from reservation dogs where you're just like mm. oh yeah like i just feel like this person knows exactly the show they're making I, it knows exactly where it's set it's already been renewed for a second season so i think that there's a lot of enthusiasm and confidence in where the show is going and I just really like Bridget Everett, like you know, I mean, it's, yeah, she's so. It's good. cool that she's just like the star of a TV show, and that you can watch her every week. Um, and I, yeah, I wish I had something more nuanced to say about it. It does. It it's almost funny to get to the end of this pod that today I'd be talking about this show after yeah. talking about Boba Fett, and just realize like how, I mean, it's always been the case, but doesn't it feel like. The two, like the poles of television, have never been stretched farther apart about what we, can be considered a television yeah. experience. Well, we're movies
1: now, right? Like there was a moment when people were bemoaning the loss back when there were theatrical movies. You know that that they were bemoaning the loss of a certain type of story or a certain type of thing. It wasn't possible on the big screen, but if you went to the small screen, you could find you could find shows that were designed, like architected, in a way that supported the primacy of. Character-based emotional storytelling, meaning that like they were character first, and then there was a situation, and then over time things developed, and it could explore an idea. You could you could spend time with it. That is increasingly not the case. That is just somebody somewhere does it, but it is a it is a dying breed. And this is, you know, I, I want to be careful when I say this because I'm even in you know I I'm I'm lucky enough to be in some of these meetings too, mm-hmm. and there is a part of the writer, producer, especially TV brain that is in order to succeed in the, in the business, it's not just, oh, I could tell you stories forever. It's problem solving. I mean, that's the part of the brain that turns into show running and producing and everything. And when you hear, you know, the, the Trojan horse, which is what basically all these things are, a writer, producer person like takes the, hears it as a challenge. Like, oh, I, I see that. I understand mm-hmm. that the parameters you've set for me are it needs to be on Endor or Tatooine or it needs to be about a 90s scandal. But what I'm going to do with this Trojan horse is fill it with something that motivates and interests me. And the challenge won't be writing the scenes so much as it will be trying to sneak in my messaging or make the show that I'm passionate about or find something to connect to. And anybody working on any of these things has that. You know, I didn't mean, I know that I can get glib and dismissive when I feel like the CGI Luke Skywalker is the end of Humanities. <laughs> we know it. But from what you've just told me about today's news events, maybe humanity's on its way out anyway. So maybe <laughs> I shouldn't get so exercised Maybe about we should it. just get
0: as much Baby I, Yoda as possible before <laughs> we punch the clock.
1: E, e, you know what I mean? It's just that I just think that ultimately it is a little bit of a rigged game. Like there are great examples of successful Trojan horse shows. And there are great examples, you know what else? Of shows that are just about big wooden horses. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we shouldn't forget. Or not real everything. horses,
0: like 1883. Yeah. They got... Those sh- are, those are.
1: <laughs> not, not luck, by the way. Shout out HBO's luck. What I mean is, like, not everything has to be a parable about our failed state or about, you know, I understand why that's why why we want to do things, but also sometimes you just want to show watch a show that's about a show or that's just the show, that's just entertaining. Um so this is how we end up with this stuff. You know, I, I think it's kind of Frankenstein-y at the moment where mm-hmm. we may finish Pam and Tommy and be like, oh, Lily James's performance was really fascinating and phenomenal and committed. And, you know, maybe, maybe. I mean, this is Jim Poniewozik in the New York Times singled out Hannah's episode, which we haven't seen. It was like yeah. that was really, really fascinating and reflective. And that is valid. That's worth it. That's good work. But it's hard to be in the chairs that we're in and not I think it's also a like, project and be the, like,
0: the, it's also, it's like, sometimes it's healthy to get like, it's healthy to be critical. You know what I mean? Like it's healthy to be kind of like, I like, Oh, sure. It's, it's healthy to have like a, like an articulation of your emotional reaction to something. I feel mighty not, healthy
1: right now today. I have really charged up. You, it's just, you that,
0: look great. I can't wait till you open the newspaper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel so calm. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: Um, Andy, we can wrap it up there. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks as always to Kaya McMullen who's got her hands full with this one today. Uh shout out to Gordon Ramsay. Kaya um, has her hands
1: full with us regularly. And we always I feel like thank we're
0: her. pretty we you know what? I've been on a lot of podcasts. You and I are, are one take guys for the most part. But maybe Kaya disagrees. Maybe she takes a lot of stuff out. I don't know. I don't ever, I never listen to this pod.
1: <laughs> I bet I bet this part's getting taken out. That's her perfect. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep Goodbye. telling us what we want to hear, Kayo. We love it. <laughs> Have a good weekend for Hitskies.